You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Welcome back to Legends Live. It's presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association, the home of our NBA and WNBA legends. I'd like to remind all our viewers, you can submit questions during the show that we will answer before we wrap up. Without any further ado, we've got a very special guest here. We've got former UCLA Bruin championship winner with the Portland Trailblazers and Boston Celtics. Bill Walton is with us. Thank you for joining us, Bill. Tyler, I'm the live part. You're the legend. I'm ready to go. Oh, oh stop it, you. There's nothing more important than being part of a team. And there's no more important team at this point than the NBRPA, the Retired Players Association, starting in 1992. Wow, Dave DeBuscher, Dave Cowens, Dave Bing. My name's not Dave, but I tried to be there at the beginning anyway. And then with Big O, who was always there, Archie Clark, it was just fantastic building on the work that all those guys did starting in 1954 and then the big monumental epic historic event in 1964 in Boston at the All-Star game when the players said no we're not going out there until we get recognition and so through the course through the course of the history of this phenomenal organization Larry Fleischer in the beginning to Michelle Roberts today and the dreams have come true. And to see what the league itself, the NBA, the ultimate platform, the relationship that the league has with the workers, the workforce, the players, the talent, and then the retired players association, it is absolutely incredible. And you look back at the history with uh, Tommy Heinsohn and Bob Cousy and, and Oscar and Paul Silas and Bob Lanier and Junior Bridgman and now Chris Paul. Yeah, and all the different programs that we have and ability to deliver on the promise of a better life through commitment to the team, through sacrifice, through honor, and all the different things that are going on, and the programs that the NBRPA provides, the scholarship programs, the grant programs, the refurbishing of athletic facilities that we all grew up in. It's just absolutely spectacular. And then every year we get the ever more popular Legends brunch at All-Star Weekend and the ability to, to take that from a restaurant with just a handful of guys to this past year in Chicago, which barely squeaked in under the pandemic lockdown, yeah. that to have more than 3,000 tickets issued for that wow. Legends brunch in Chicago, just absolutely spectacular. I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I'm a union guy. And I come from the days of Eugene Debs and Joe Hill and Mother Jones and, and, and William Green and Nelson Cruikshank and Cesar Chavez and all the people who were working to make better lives for people who were out there trying to build their own lives. Right. And without the support of the team, because nobody ever makes it to the top alone, here we are working together through our great union. I am a union man. Here we go, Tyler. You are the legend. 
I'm just happy to be alive. We're happy to have you here, Bill. First thing I always like to ask people, how are you? How are you, Bill Walton? I'm alive. I'm married to Lori, and I'm talking to Tyler. I'm Two out of three ain't bad. So that's a great way to start your day. <laughs> Although my day started quite a bit ago. I'm just coming down off of a of an incredible high of broadcasting the Camping World Maui Invitational in Asheville, which was shifted from Maui to Asheville, North Carolina, a place I've never been to. We did it remotely for ESPN. I'm busier than I've ever been, Tyler. I mean, yeah. The, the pandemic has changed everything. Our challenge now is to make different better, to do what's never been done before, hmm. and to create a new path forward. And so I've been working diligently and my life, my business life for years has been live events mm. and live events were the first to go and they'll be the last to come back. But we are sadly, sadly, we are worse off today from the medical point, from the mm. science point than when we started. Yeah. More people died yesterday than any other day. Yeah. And that is just unacceptable. And that is a, a, a direct reflection of the lack of leadership. Whenever there's failure on any level, it always comes back to the people at the top, the people who were supposed to show us how to get to a better place. Okay. That's why I love the NBRPA, because we have Scott Rochelle. We have Bridget. We work with Chris Paul. We work with Michelle Roberts. We have an incredible board of directors on the NBRPA, including all the guys I know and Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis is the chairman <laughs> of the board right now. Johnny was a, a, a member of our championship team in Portland. Mm -hmm. It's always been a champion in his own right. And Johnny currently lives in Asheville. And okay. so I was talking to Johnny and, and his wife, Leslie, and their two children. Reginald uh, lives uh, with Johnny and Leslie in Asheville. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Austin, uh, Austin, I believe he lives in Indianapolis now. But this okay. family that, you know, one of the great things about basketball and sport, the NBA, the NBRPA, is that you can use this magnificent platform as a springboard to a better life. Because I don't know about, I don't know about you, Tyler. I, I, I did not grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. I mean, I was, Nor did I. I. I was able to get a college scholarship to UCLA, and from there everything changed. It did help that it did help that I was uh, on tour with the Grateful Dead from the time I was 15 years old. I, that, I think, yeah, I think that would help a little bit. That was a giant springboard as well. But to to know all the stories of the guys and all the friendships that I've been able to make over the course of my life and build the network and the world travel that we've all been able to mm. do. And I'm so happy and so proud of the current NBA because what's going on now is the dream come true. Mm. And the, the, the literally indescribable amounts of money that are flowing to right. the players, which is fantastic. And you see day after day, these uh, mega contracts, you know, being handed out, which makes me really, really proud and really happy because the dream has come true. Equally as important, Tyler, is the fact that the NBA, Adam Silver, Mark Tatum, Michelle Roberts, Chris Paul, the television partners, ESPN, where I work, Jimmy Pataro, Bob Iger at the very top of Disney, and then over on the Turner and Time Warner side, 
those folks, they understand the responsibility of the privileges that we have. And the privileges that we have, they connote responsibility, duty, and obligation. And the ability of our players, of our team, and our league, and our television partners, our media partners, to be able to stand up and to deliver that message of hope and fairness and opportunities that come with being part of a union and the strength of the team to be able to come together and and to fight all the challenges that are going on right now because the challenges are severe. Hmm. We have the health challenge with COVID-19. We have the economic crisis where people are losing their jobs, losing their homes, they're hungry. We are the richest country in the history of the world. And we have all these economic challenges that are a direct result of the lack of leadership. Hmm. And then we have the social justice awakening right now. Now, that movement has been going on hmm. forever. But right now, there is a there is a, a, an absolute point where so many people are just standing up and saying, as two days ago, we celebrated the, the 65th anniversary of Rosa Parks. Of Rosa Parks, who she would not give up her seat. She would not move because of the color of her skin. And it's, I've been to her museum in Montgomery, Alabama. I, I knew John Lewis. I was there at the Martin Luther King groundbreaking and opening ceremonies in Washington, D.C. for the memorial there. And th- you know, this is something that we've all lived and something that, as, as it's really out front right now, and I want to thank all the players. I want to thank Adam Silver and Mark Tatum and the television partners for allowing that message to be delivered and to use the game of basketball, the platform, to deliver that message of hope and inclusion and, and diversity. Because when you have all of those things present in your life, Things get better, mm-hmm. and the the burden and the pain is is lifted. The pain is eased, and, and and the heavy load is distributed. Life is never easy, but when we share the load and when we work together, we can find the bright side of the, of the road, mm-hmm. and we can see what love can do. And we're waiting for this miracle, and it's on its way. And the miracle that I am here today as the live part. With the legend himself, Tyler, I'm the luckiest dude in the world, man. Now, you mentioned uh, some of that, like, working together, giving back. And you mentioned, uh, like, helping refurbish athletic facilities. Uh, right. Bridget was telling me beforehand that they're working, doing some work with you in a San Diego court, if I have that right. correct. So San Diego is my hometown. Mm-hmm. And as uh, I was here uh, until I was uh, 17 when I... Uh, moved to Los Angeles to go to college at UCLA. And then I joined the NBA when I was 21 up in Portland. Been with the NBA ever since. And so we've had stops in my life of Los Angeles, Portland, back to San Diego, up to Los Angeles, Palo Alto, where I went to graduate school at Stanford, Boston, where I played with the Celtics. Wherever we've gone in our lives, we've always tried to be involved members of the community. And we always try to upgrade the local public parks because I'm a public guy and I go to the parks and growing up in San Diego, we lived outside, man. It was go to the park, go to the rec center, go to the beach, go to wherever you wanted because and repeat today right here in San Diego, it's seven, it's seven degrees and it's yeah. spectacularly beautiful. 
Uh, but I, I'm not riding my bike today, and I'm not talking about Apple and the Camping World Maui Invitational. I'm talking about the Legends Live program. And so one of the things that we're doing with the Legends Live program is that we are going back to the basketball courts where I first started to play back when I was eight years old. Because I went to elementary school, maybe maybe uh, five, six, seven miles from where I sit right now, and just over this way. And mm-hmm. my parents are the most unathletic people you've ever seen. <laughs> I, I never shot a basket with my parents. I mean, <laughs> okay. I, I, I never played sports. We never watched sports. We didn't have a TV growing up. I never played catch with my dad. Greatest parents ever. Don't get me wrong. I mean, my parents. I've but not had, athletes, though. I've had every advantage in the world. But my parents, they, they, you know, my mom, who's 93 and still lives in the same house we all grew up in. My mom asks me every night as I call her before I go to bed. She said, Billy, did you ever get a job? And so <laughs> I found sports through my older brother, Bruce. I was tagging along after him one day. And he, we ended up at the park with the volunteer coach at our elementary school. Now, he was the local fireman. And he had three children of his own. We all went to the same school. And his fire station was over here. Our school was in the middle. And then just down here uh, was my mom's library. My mom was the town hmm. librarian. And so there was a need in the school, in the school, in the community. What are the children going to do after school's out? And so this fireman, his name was Rocky. He it's was a fireman name. Rocky. He was only called Rocky. He was never called coach. He was never called sir. He was never just called Rocky. Just Rocky by everybody. And he he became the volunteer coach at our school in 1956. He volunteered there every day, every sport, every class, every grade, every level, all year long for wow. 59, 59 years as the volunteer wow. coach. And so when he died a few years ago, without ever taking a penny, he was the richest guy I've ever known. And so here was a guy who gave his life so that other people's dreams could come true, which is really the story of Eugene Debs, Cesar Chavez, Joe Hill, Mother Jones, all these people, Larry Fleischer. It was never about the money with them. And so what we're doing right now with the, with the very strong support of the NBRPA is that we are refurbishing those basketball courts where we all grew up and started playing 60 years ago when we began there. And so just over here, five or six miles is a beautiful park. And it's called Kalina del Sol, and it's got some rolling hills, and it's got some fields, and it's got a rec center. And so uh, we're redoing the outdoor courts, and we're putting a plaque, a monument, basically, to our coach, Rocky. And it's just fantastic. And it's one of those things that we try to do because in, in, in my life, Tyler, basketball in the early days, basketball gave me hope. It gave me a, a, a sense of opportunity. More importantly, it gave me a mission. It gave me a purpose. And then over the course of my life, now 60 years in the game, being a part of it, I, can't, I haven't been able to play in, gosh, I'm going to say I haven't been able to play in 34 years. But, <laughs> but I'm still involved. I'm involved mm-hmm. in the business side of it now. And so from Hope, Opportunity, and Purpose, that has led to a life of pride, loyalty, and gratitude. Hmm. And pride is the satisfaction with our choices. Nobody's made more mistakes than me. None of those mistakes were intentional. I just, it just turned out to be wrong. 
right. loyalty, loyalty. Do we care? Does any of this really matter to us? And it does matter to me. I take all this stuff very personal. And then the gratitude. I live a life of gratitude and acknowledgement, tribute, honor, and respect to all the people who went before me. There are no certainties in life and the way that people have helped me. I started playing, Tyler, against NBA players when I was 14 years old. And I had a key to our high school gym. And, <laughs> and, and so, and we had the nicest gym in town. And this was 1967. And the San Diego Rockets were an expansion team. And the first guys on that team were Jim Barnett, who's still the broadcaster for the Warriors, <laughs> Pat Riley, who's okay. running the Miami Heat. You've got John Block, an absolute legend from the Conference of Champions, one of the great players in the history of the Pac-12 from USC, and then Don Kojis, who played at Marquette. And so there were these four guys. Now, that group in the first year was soon to be joined by the Hall of Famers, Elvin Hayes, Rudy Tomjanovich, and Calvin Murphy, and then Stu Lance, Hambone Williams, and it was an endless list of guys that just kept coming. Now, so here was little Billy at 14 with the key to the gym. And so they're all calling me up all the time. Come on, Billy, open the gym. Let's go play ball. And so we had the time of our lives. And then they had the management, the basketball management team for the San Diego Rockets at the time, which was comprised of Hall of Famer Pete Newell, Hall of Famer Tex Winter, Hall of Famer Alex Hannum, and Hall of Famer Jack McMahon. And all of these guys were the, they were the umbrella over my life coming up and into the NBA. Now, so I knew from the time I was 14 that I was going to make it to the NBA. But my early dream was to go to college because that's what my parents were all about. My parents were all about education and, you know, getting a job and, you know, going to, going to school. And I, but school was the easiest part of my life. I mean, I was, mm. <laughs> I was a straight-A student the whole way. You know, my challenges, Tyler, have been orthopedic health. I've had 39 orthopedic operations. And then the fact that I'm a lifetime stutterer and that I could not say a word. And I know that uh, with the song and and so many of us in in the world of basketball are stutterers and that we use the game to to shield us from our limitations. But uh, now that I've learned how to speak a a little bit, it has become everyone else's worst nightmare. (laughs) But when we think about the song, see what love can do. And think of Bob Love, Bob Butterbean Love for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago, where the current offices of the NBRPA are. And Bob Love and I, we couldn't speak. Moses was in the same way. Michael Ray Richardson. I mean, there's an endless list of guys, you know, who could not speak at all. And uh, I've been working at it and I'm trying to get there. And maybe one day I'll be able to tell my mom, yeah, mom, I I finally did get that job. (laughs) One day. One day. Yes. (laughs) Now, I read an article recently. It yep. was the 35 years, I believe, 35-year anniversary of you taking some of your Celtics teammates to a Grateful Dead concert during the season, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, absolutely. See, I've been going to the Grateful Dead for uh, for 53 years. That was mm. in, that also happened in 1960. Around the time you started playing with professional basketball players right. in high school. Okay, yeah. And so, you know, the, you know, the Grateful Dead were coming along and, and, and I heard them on the radio and, and I said, we got to go to this. We got to check this out. And so we, we went 
that was when you know when we were 15 14 15 years old in mm -hmm. 1967 and then over the time i met the band and they become my best friends and they're as important to me as anything in my life you, know, you talk mm -hmm. about those impacts in my life, you know, my parents, Rocky, Chick Hearn, a Laker broadcaster, mm. greatest broadcaster ever, John Wooden, Grateful mm. Dead, NBA, all, you know, all the great players and heroes and friendships and relationships. And and, and so I'm on the Celtics uh, and now and, uh, and, and I'm getting ready for practice. Now, I love practice and I love playing <laughs> basketball and I love just getting after each sure. other. And so I'm warming up, getting ready to go, and I'm watching the clock as the clock is ticking down. We're going to get started, and, and all of a sudden, I got on one side. I got Larry Bird. On this side, I got Kevin McHale. And he said, "What's going on, Walton?" I said, "What do you mean, what's going on? Look at that clock. Five more minutes, and I'm coming at you guys. Let's go." <laughs> and they said, "No, man, something's happening here because there's all kinds of new people in town. They all got long hair." They all got those funny, crazy T-shirts that you wear all the time. And they all smell real differently. What's going on here? And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they looked at me and they said, are the Grateful Dead in town? I said, no. Are the Grateful Dead coming to town? Yes. That's two different coming? questions. Yes. Are you going to go? Yes. Can we come too? And uh, I said, I think we can work something out. Because the Grateful Dead... You know, they're entertainers. They're, they put on a show and they love the fans and they love sports and they love championship excellence. They love mm -hmm. learning from other people. And so, you know, they had been uh, to, to all the games up in Portland. They had been uh, to all the games that I played uh, previously to me going to Boston. Mm -hmm. And so I worked it all out with the band and we all met at Larry's house. The whole team was invited and everybody came except for Danny Ainge whose wife wouldn't let him come. And, and, and so there was a situation where Larry, Larry, the ultimate teammate, always looking out for his guys, he arranged for a fleet of limousines. Okay. Limousines to take us from his house to the concert, which was over there at Holy Cross, you know, in Worcester, just outside of Boston, where Cruz... That's, that's a little bit outside of Boston, Boston, I was going to say, right? These were the starters of, of the National Basketball Players Association. It all rolls into one. And so we get there, and it was just fantastic. And we, they, you know, we drive right into the arena, and they pull up the gate, and all the limos pull in. We go backstage, and I'm introducing everybody around. You know, Jerry and Phil and Bob and BK and Mickey and Brent was playing piano at the time, and then uh, uh, Larry and Kevin and Chief and Jerry and Scotty and DJ and Greg and everybody. It was fantastic, yeah. and uh, Rick Carlisle too. Yeah. And so we were uh, we were there, and, and then Ramrod came into the back dressing room, and he and he said, "Okay, come on, it's time for the show to start. Celtics up on stage first. And so we go up there, and we walk up as dark as can be. And I, I had told the band in advance. I said, "Now look, these guys have never been before, and you know they're not going to be like me because I like to be out in the crowd. Right? That's where the action is, and that's where you can see the best." And that's where you can hear the best. Because hmm. when you're on the stage, you can't really hear anything and you yeah. can't see anything, particularly the great light show. Right. And so they said, Bill, we got this covered. We've done this before. And so they had built this little enclave, Tyler, over on the side, all curtained off or nobody could see. And we're literally, you know, we're literally eight feet from where Jerry Garcia is going to be standing, you know, for the whole night. And so we go up there and as soon as we sit down, Big Steve and Ramrod, and Billy Grillo and Kid and all the guys, they bring over all these coolers 
all these coolers full of our favorite drinks, milk and milk and cream soda. Sure, and, sure. And so we're sitting there, and then all of a sudden, you can feel the tension and everything just coming alive and coming up as the band is working their way onto the stage and the crowd knows what's about to happen. So people are yelling and jumping up and down and fireworks and sparklers and cigarette lighters, everything known to man that would illuminate the sky. And so here it was, the band comes up and they're warming up, they're making sure everything is just right. Just before the, the moment of truth in that special moment before the moment of truth, Jerry, Jerry steps into the shaft of light and he reaches out and he makes sure with his foot, you know, with his feet that all the foot pedals are just perfect. They always were. The crew was incredible. And then the last thing he always did before the show started was he leaned forward and he touched his lips to the microphone to make sure it was exactly the right height. Mm. And it always was. So he, he works the pedals. Okay. They're set. He touches his lips to the microphone. That's all set. Still in the shaft of light, he turns and he looks over and he looks at Larry Bird. I'm sitting right next to Larry. He looks right at Larry Bird and he gives him a big nod, a big wink, and he mouths to him, this is what we do. And then he turned back and he just, the whole band just blew it out. I mean, for five, six, seven hours. And wow. it was just over the top incredible. The show is over. The lights come up. The band is gone. And oh my God, I look at all the guys on the team and their eyes, their eyes are like kaleidoscopes. <laughs> like, wow, can we come back tomorrow? And they did. And we just had the time of our lives because the Grateful Dead, it's the same thing. It's about, it's about hope, opportunity, and purpose. They all came from nothing. It's about pride, loyalty, and gratitude, doing something with your life, making things better, coming together as a squad, treating the people who are in trouble, in need, who require the help, lift them up, make their lives better, make them feel part of the team. That's what unions are all about. And that's why I'm here today on Legends Live. I'm alive and you're the legend. You're Tyler and I'm Bill and I'm a deadhead and I'm proud, loyal and grateful. Now, did, did you get on the stage that night with the dead or you didn't, you were just I'm playing that you... I'm I'm on the, the only time I'm not on the stage is when I'm out in the crowd. Okay. So I go to the, I go to concerts. That's what Lori and I do. I mean, that, that, that's our fun. I mean, I, I'm a workaholic. I just go full speed all day, every day. And during the pandemic, when, when things shifted, you know, we shifted from the, from the corporate and professional side of our lives, mm. which is live events and, and doing things and, you know, at corporate speaking circuit, calling games, just being involved with everything. We, everything pivoted to the people who were in need. So this, this was healthcare, and this was food. This was uh, medical equipment, personal protective equipment. This is providing uh, opportunities for children. This is, you know, libraries, helping the victims of the fires that are all part of this whole thing. Because we didn't even talk about the crises that are going on. We kind of ended up with, with the social justice issues, mm. starting with uh, COVID and then going to the economic crisis and then social, but we didn't talk about the environmental crisis that's going right. on right now and, and how we all have to evaluate and change where necessary the things that we're doing in our lives that are not allowing us to be sustainable. And so the, everything pivoted for that because we haven't gone anywhere. We haven't left the house right. since uh, March 12th. 
when the whole thing uh, shut down and the NBA was first. The NBA is always first and everything. Mm. The NBA was first back. And so, and, and, and that's because people are smart and this, mm. people are willing. See, what, what happens, Tyler, in a group dynamic? And this is why I love the union so much because the union brings people together. I don't like divisiveness. Mm. I like diversity and I like different strains of thought. Good. But at the end of the day, I demand, I insist on being part of something that, okay, we're going to come to a consensus here and we're going to figure out what is the best path forward for the most people possible. And we're going to have levels of empathy and levels of sympathy for the people who don't get it, who don't have it, so that they can have their lives too. And we're not just pushing people aside. Always beware of people who are trying to divide you trying to exclude you and trying to keep you from voting. And so when I saw this whole thing with, with the initiative led by the players and all, you know, LeBron and so many different players, I mean, it's literally across the board. I'm a proud parent. I'm a proud parent of six children and 14 grandchildren. And to see, because in the world of sustainability, it's, it's all about keeping the good things going, mm. eliminating the bad things. Right. So, so we and have to the make good the things. transition. We have mm. to make the transition. So what, what we have tried to do in our lives is to, as we have pivoted from the corporate side and the business side to the philanthropic side of making sure that the people who need, you know, the, the people who are losing their homes, the people who are mm. have no food to eat, the people who've lost their jobs. I mean, it's tragic. And the people who've lost family members uh, to the COVID crisis, to any kind of crisis. Mm. I mean, that's what we're here for. That's right. what teams are about. And that's what the NBRPA is all about. Scott Rochelle, fantastic. Bridget, tremendous. The staff, the seven staff members of the NBRPA, RPA, all the things that they do on a constant mm. basis, because we, you know, we have more than a thousand members of ex players, and the fact that our organization includes not just the NBA, but the ABA, the Globies, the WNBA, mm. and anybody who's had any sort of participation at any level of professional basketball. Because when we were coming up, there were very, very few jobs. There was uh, 12 guys on just a handful of teams. And then, and there was no business jobs today. The business of sports, the business of media, it is just huge. And you see all the television networks and all the ancillary marketing and and business opportunities for everybody coming up. And, And it is literally as big a sector of the global economy as there is. The sports yep. and entertainment aspect. Absolutely. And so we, we try to provide those opportunities. And the NBA RPA is always right there to do whatever they can to help us in our own local communities. And so my hat goes off and my heart just flows open and my soul is so grateful. Well, what we've been able to do for the for the next generation of children coming up who will be playing at Kalina Del Sol with the Rocky that they have in their lives. Right. Check back in with Bridget what here. I know. Question, what was your question again? No, that was, you answered my question. It was about why, you know, the, what the project was restoring okay. that. Yeah. Restoring okay. the San Diego court and why it meant so much. And you answered it perfectly. Okay. 
I have no idea what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> and you're doing great, Bill. We got uh, tons of questions here in the chat. Gonna see what Bridges got queued up for us to see what our viewers have to ask for Bill. Who is the most talented? Okay, who's Pork Roll Mafia? Pork Roll Mafia. It says, who is the most talented player you ever played against? Is that an alias, Pork Roll Mafia, or can we see an identification, please? I, okay. Yeah, I think I, we might need some uh, social security card or something. Okay. okay, the most talented I ever played. Well, I'm going to change the t- most talented to say the best. Okay. The best I ever played against, and, and, and I'll come back to this, but the, the best I ever played against by far was Kareem Mm. and not even close and not just the best center, but the best player. Mm. Uh, uh, The, the the best player I ever played with was Larry Bird. And the greatest teammate that I ever had was Maurice Lucas. Now, when you speak of teammates, you know, my favorite player ever was Bill Russell and on, Mm. on and off the court. And I found Bill Russell when I was, I think nine years old. And to this day, he's still my favorite player <laughs> on and off the court. And my, and my other sports hero was Muhammad Ali. Hmm. And I grew up in a, in a very socially active uh, household and community. You know, my, my dad, my dad was just the greatest dad ever. Uh, he, he, he'd grown up, uh, he, he's the son of school teachers and public school administrators in the hmm. state of California here. And at that time, when he was growing up, they were living in a very small town in the southern end of the San Joaquin Valley, uh, uh, just west of Bakersfield. And that's Grapes of Wrath, uh, 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 John Steinbeck country. Mm -hmm. And so my dad went from there. Uh, He didn't like being there. It was not, not, it's very nice now, but this was, you know, this was a hundred years ago. So so my dad, he went to Berkeley for college. And my, my dad loved Berkeley. And loved going to the UC system there. Loved education. Was a top student. Uh, but he, he ended up getting drafted and uh, fighting on the ground in World War II oh, in, wow. France, in France and Germany. And he came home, never said a word about it. Never talked about the war. Never talked about what he saw or did. But just spent the rest of his life convincing people to get along. And mm-hmm. so he was a social worker by day, an adult educator by night, and a music teacher on the weekend. And so when my dad, uh, so, you know, he was this guy that that had created this culture in our own individual family, a Mm. culture of teamwork, a culture of respect, a culture of encouragement and nurturing and and, and enthusiastically supporting other people's dreams. And so my favorite teammate greatest teammate I ever had was Maurice Lucas. The nicest thing anybody ever said about me as a basketball player was that I helped make my teammates play better ball. Nobody Mm. made me a better player than Maurice Lucas, but the most talented, talented, how are you going to measure talent? Uh, You know, so I never played against Wilt, but Kareem, you know, Kareem set a standard of excellence. Kareem, he made college basketball what it is today he carried the nba for 20 years and and he just he's got all the records to prove it Uh, although wilt still has a ton of records yeah so so all these guys tyler so i I met wilt when i was 16 i was in high school he was Mm. playing for the lakers and uh, and the lakers came to san diego and and wilt could not have been nicer i Mm. never had an experience with wilt when he wasn't just so encouraging and so supportive 
and, and, and so friendly and so warm. Elvin Hayes, who was mm. the star of the, of the local team here in San Diego. Elvin Hayes, you know, he, he would just call me up just to talk about basketball and life and to, and to encourage me all the time. And then uh, I met Bill Russell when I was mm. just in college. You know, I, I got to go to the college in Los Angeles from 1970 to 1974. I mean, those were fantastic years, and John Wooden was the coach. But all the different things that went down were going down in the world at the time, and we mm. were all right in the middle of it. Sure. And so uh, even though we were in Southern California in Los Angeles, and that's Laker country, Willie Knowles, who was a very active member of the – of the Players Association and the Retired Players Association. Willie Knowles uh, had, had been born in Texas, but then moved to California as a youngster, went to UCLA and played for John Wooden and played in the game, which was the last time that Bill Russell ever lost in college. Mm. And then Willie Knowles went on to play in the NBA for a whole bunch of years, including with the Celtics, with the Knicks and a number of other teams but he was a champion with the Celtics. Everybody on the Celtics was a champion in those days. <laughs> and so Willie, from the very beginning, he understood his responsibility. And so he started the Soulville Foundation. And the Soulville Foundation was a, was a platform to provide opportunities for underserved children. Children hmm. who didn't have what so many of us just took for granted. Good schools, good homes, uh, good opportunities, right. you know, great, great families, all that stuff. And so Willie, he was very much into that. And he later went on uh, to a life of service in, as a minister. Hmm. And now Willie just recently passed away. And so it was uh, a, a huge loss for it all. But Willie, through his Soulville Foundation, he was always bringing his Celtic teammates to California uh. for programs. And so Bill Russell, Sam Jones, Casey Jones, John Havlicek, you name Paul Silas, you name the guys. And they were I coming. was meeting them when I was just a, a, you know, a young college student. And, wow. then, and then the Lakers were right there. And the Lakers were, you know, UCLA and the Forum, the old fabulous Forum where the Lakers played before the Staples Center downtown. Mm -hmm. That's in Inglewood. And I mean, that's, that's maybe a 20, 30 minute bike ride between <laughs> UCLA and the, and the fabulous Forum. If you, if you got a good route. And, right. And, and you're willing to jam. And so, <laughs> like, we would be on. The Lakers would come to all of our games, Wilt and Jerry and Elgin and Gail and Pat Riley and Leroy Ellis and Bill Sharman when Casey Jones were the coach. They'd come to our games. We'd go to their games. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just like one big, big meld. And so I, I just had this really charmed life. And I, I got to see a lot of, you know, you know the, the, the most talented player, I mean, Will Chamberlain, Oscar Robertson, these are mm -hmm. – very, very gifted players. Dr. J, he'd be up in that list. And I just did a show the other time with Dr. J. You really got to get him on your Legends Live program. We do. Uh, we do. We do. We definitely got to get Dr. J in here. The Dr. J, we did a show recently, and it was uh, phenomenal. And, you know, his story is just spectacular. And he really, he really changed the direction of, of, of hmm. history in the world. Uh, you know, the way that he just transcended and, you know, he, he, he had a tough, tough childhood. It, it, you know, he, he's out there on Long Island and, you know, grew up in unit 3D of the housing projects right across from Campbell Park and Hempstead mm. there. And, uh, then he moved over to Roosevelt before going up to UMass and then, and then realizing that, you know, Hey, I, I can go make some money and help my mom move up in, 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 in life. Right. And so, uh, but, uh, 
what Dr. J did in terms of the class and the dignity. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dr. J, there's a lot of great players, a lot of great people, but Dr. J is the single most admired, loved, respected, adored basketball player. I mean, he, he literally has no detractors. And, <laughs> and, and he's just, he's regal in his presence. Mm. And he's, he's calm, he's dignified. He's incredibly professional in all ways. And, and he changed the course of history because when we were coming up, it was all about the big guy. It was all about mm. dominating in the paint with the big man. Now, right. in the big early man. days, you know, the, the, the MVP, the MVP is the single highest honor that you can receive as a basketball player. And there's only been 34 people who have ever won the MVP mm. award. And at the beginning, Bob Cousy won one, little tiny guard. Mm. And then a few years later, it was Oscar Roberts in 1964. But other than that, it was oh, all big guys. Big, 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 big. Yeah. Russell, it was real it was uh, the Willis Reed, it was Wes Unseld, it was Dave Cowan, it was Kareem, it was Moses Malone, and all these big dudes, man, who were underneath that basket fighting and dominating the paint. And that was, that was the history of basketball, and that was the MVP. And then in 1981, Dr. J, mm. he broke that streak of seven, from, from 64 when Oscar won it to 81 when Dr. J won it. It was all it was centers. All centers, including Bob McAdoo. And Dr. J mm -hmm. broke that streak. And from that point on, it's been changing. Definitely. And, and there have been other big guys that have won. But right. it's really been dominated since then by the likes of the perimeter guys. Yeah. Dr. J, Larry, Magic, Michael, and then all the runs. Uh, you know, Michael, Michael had a long run. Yeah, he had, he had a couple. Yeah. And, and, and then Michael should have won more than he did than he did get yeah but i voted every year and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I know and i'm proud of where my vote went but then and, and then today it's lebron mm. and and what lebron does have we spoken about lebron yet today i haven't i haven't uh I no we could talk lebron i was gonna say uh we had another question it was kind of going within what you were saying uh from m vlahoyanis i don't know uh why do you think this? Yeah, I don't know. But why do you think the center position has fallen from grace? As you were talking about, how it really transitioned from a big dominated, then Dr. J kind of. It's broke not that, that mold. fallen from grace. It's just transitioned to a different style, a different culture, mm. a, a style and culture that was uh, that was driven uh, a lot by Michael, who was so Michael Jordan, who Definitely. was so good, but really all all the great players are positionless players. Hmm. They're just basketball players They're who just, happen yeah. to have a certain body type. And Michael was so good and so dominant and so perfect in everything that he did and, and so admired and loved and respected that everybody wanted to play like that. And then when Shaq, who's more easily one of the five greatest big men ever, when Shaq came along, a lot of guys just didn't want any part of Shaq. Uh, they, Understandable. Uh, yeah, well, but think, think of what happened when... when uh, when Russell, you know, when Bill Russell retired mm -hmm. and, it, and it went from Bill Russell winning the championship all the time, Wilt was phenomenal throughout a lot of that. But that's when Kareem came in because Bill Russell retired the, the year that, uh, that Kareem was coming in. Now, mm -hmm. at basically the same time as Kareem's coming in, maybe a year later, I'm not really sure of the, of the date of, the, of this 
addition to the basketball family, but Dave Cowens. Dave hmm. Cowens, one of the founding members of the NBRPA, with Dave Bing, Dave DeBusher, Oscar Robertson, hmm. Archie Clark. And so Dave Cowens comes in, and I remember the story because Russell had retired, and Red Auerbach is still running the Celtics, and Russell calls Red and said, well, what, what's your team looking like this year? And Red tells Russell, he says, well, you know, you've left, you've retired, you were kind of the anchor and the foundation of everything we had going here, and now we have this big hole in the middle. But we got this young guy, we got this young guy, he's from Kentucky, and he went to school at Florida State, he's a left-handed guy like you were, Russell, but he's white and he's not very big. And so, and so Russell says to Red, well, what's his name? Dave Cowens, Red says. And Russell says, how tall is Dave Cowens? And Red says, he's 6'9". And Russell says, Red, how tall am I? And Red took a big drag on his cigar and said, you're 6'9", too, and so is Dave. <laughs> and so Dave Cowens was the second greatest center I ever played against. If, if I was going to put them in some sort of hierarchy of the guys I played against, I didn't play against Russell and Wilt. But mm-hmm. I would put Kareem at the very top, and the next two would be Nate Thurman and Dave Cowens. And then it would go down. And a lot of other great ones I played against. But sure. Dave Cowens, physically unimposing. But Dave Cowens, just the heart of, the heart of, of a champion. I mean, Rudy Tomjanovich used to always speak of that when he would talk about Akeem Olajuwon and his Houston mm. Rockets teams in the 90s. But Dave Cowens was the only player. Because remember in those days when you played, the other teams – Basically, everybody on the other team was going to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, yeah. this was in, in in years when there were 12 teams in the league, maybe 15, maybe 16 teams. Today, there's 30 teams in the league, which is fine because it's mm-hmm. more jobs, more opportunity, more wealth spread around to more people. And, and that's what we're always looking to do. And, and, and there's a lot of really good players, but they're not all going to be in the Hall of Fame. And yeah. so... But Dave Cowens was the only player that I ever saw. And I would go to all these Laker games. And I would watch the games that were on TV. Mm. And Dave Cowens was the only player I ever saw who could take it to Wilt and who could take it to Kareem at the same time. And that Mm. brings us back to the guys who didn't want any part of Shaq. Dave Cowens didn't run away from him. Dave Cowens said, I'm going to make you play my game. My game, which was the same game that Bob McAdoo had. Bob McAdoo, a brilliant performer, not big and tall. Bob McAdoo, one of those 34 MVPs. Dave Cowens, one of those 34 Mm -hmm. MVPs. Those guys made you play their game, which was movement, up and down, skill, jumpers, rebounds, quickness, give and goes. And it was absolutely fantastic. So I forget the question. The guy had an interesting name. I forget what it was. (laughs) It was uh, M. Blaga. I don't know. It was about the uh, uh, it, yeah. It may, was that Vladi in there? Uh, I, I so, <laughs> so uh, what's the next question we've got here? Let's see from Whack Human Being it says, "Bill, your distinct voice and larger than life character make you a fun person to do an impression of. Have you heard any of them? And if so, who does your favorite Bill Walton impression?" I've heard a lot of them, and I love it all. <laughs> and it's quite an honor. The greatest honor mm-hmm. of them all is to be asked for your autograph. The greatest honor is, may I have my picture made with you? And But when they start doing the impersonations, I just think that's cool. Because it's part, that's what being a part of a team is all about. It's about having fun. 
Right. And, and, and if, you, if you're not having fun, why are you doing this? Let's it's a form of flattery. Right. So Frank, Frank Caliendo does a fantastic job. Kevin McHale does a great job. They all, they all, Jim Gray comes up with it every now and then. Roy Firestone, all the guys. So we just have a good time. But I'm just me. I, you know, I'm not trying to. I was going to say, whose impersonation do you do? Like, who do you, who's the one you have? Do you do a good Kevin McHale back to him or? No, you know, I, I can't. I have such a hard time speaking. You have no idea how much my life has changed since I've learned how to speak a little bit. English is my fifth language after stammering, stuttering, stumbling, and spitting. Mm. And then here I am. So I'm just going to try to stick with who I am. Right. When I get to the point when I feel a little bit more confident, confident with what I have in terms of the control of my voice and my mouth, and try to sync up the brain with the voice. I mean, because when I look at some of these broadcasters that I work with, and I work with the best, mm. I mean, uh, Bob Costas, Dick Enberg, uh, Mike Tirico, you know, M- Mike Tirico these days, uh, Mike Greenberg at ESPN mm. on, the, on the morning show, these guys who can just talk and think at the same time. That was Chick Hearn when I was a mm. child. And I would, I was growing up, I was very shy, very lonely, lonely by choice. You know, I, I enjoy being alone. I, I mm. enjoy, you know, because in between being alone, I was always in the middle of the basketball court. Or I was always <laughs> in the middle of the crowd at the basketball, you know, at the Grateful Dead show. Right. And so the, those are two different worlds. But that space and time alone, which has always been really important to me to where I can think and to where I can reflect and where I can plan and strategize as to what's going to be next in my life. And, and, and to see these guys who I now have the, the privilege of working with and learning from, mm. I mean, these guys who can just get up there and, and they can have a thought. You, you know, Bill Simmons, right? Uh, mm. you know, the, the, uh, the writer, Bill Simmons. The sports guy. Right. So mm. Bill Simmons, he can have a thought. He can have a tiny germinating seed of a thought inside his brain and 10 minutes later he'll have 5,000 words typed out <laughs> all about that one thought all about yeah. that one little thought that's not the way my my <laughs> mouth my brain my life works man if I could only type if I could only talk if I could only think but there's a lot of if onlys in my life Tyler well, you, you, we, we think you're doing good uh, as is, Bill. I think everybody in the chat, we, we, we think you're. You know, one of the last lessons, one of the last lessons I learned, because uh, you know, I've, I've had all the greatest teachers, and including John Wood. And we played for him when we were really young. I mean, what are you now? Are you, you 18 or 19? Oh, boy. We, we, you were too played, kind, Bill. We played for John Wood when we were teenagers. Yeah. And he was at the top of the mm. world. And you know, he was on, he, he was so dialed in to everything. And we didn't understand what we had mm. with him right. because we had all had such successful childhood careers and lives. And we just thought that everybody had that. Had a coach like John Wooden. Yeah. yeah. And everybody had parents like we had, everybody had coaches like Rocky. Mm. Everybody had a Chick Hearn in their life. Because Chick Chick was always so positive, so yeah. nurturing, so encouraging to just come on and be part of this. And that was John Wooden, too. And 
we just thought that was the way life was. Right. And it wasn't until I joined the NBA that I realized that that wasn't really the way things were or right. are. And so over the course of time in my life, all of the things that John Wooden said came true, every one of them. <laughs> and we didn't believe a word of it when he was saying to us when we were teenagers. And, and, and the hardest thing was, because I'm a, I'm a competitive guy, mm. and I like to win. And you know, it, he would always say, because you know, he never talked about winning and losing. Never. Mm. He rarely talked about basketball. He mostly talked about life. Right. And he would always say, the only thing I ask of you men is that you do your best. Your best is good enough. That's all I want. But whatever it is you do, don't beat yourself, don't cheat yourself, don't shortchange yourself, because that's the worst kind of defeat you'll ever suffer. Mm. And we thought it was nonsense, right? We thought we thought it was the scoreboard. We thought right. it was the championship. We thought it was all the stuff that came right. with it, right? And then as my life changed and went on, and I had all these incredible challenges, spent half my adult life in the hospital, couldn't talk, couldn't make the transition to other parts of life, because I just... I wasn't good enough. I wasn't well-rounded enough. I wasn't balanced enough. I wasn't smart enough. And so I worked through a lot of those different things. And then one of the things that John wouldn't always would say mm. was, man, I want you to understand that this is all about a process. This is about a journey. And that at the end of that journey, it's critically important that you are able to say to yourself that today I have the peace of mind that comes with the self-satisfaction of knowing that I've done my best. Hmm. And while that is really easy to say and memorize, to try to implement that. And Every so here single I was, day. Yeah. all these things, and John Wooden stuff is all out. He, he just gave it all away. He was this remarkable spiritual force of nature. And so here it was. I was preparing for a speech. This is before the pandemic when it was still, when we were out there, in, you know, in the public world, in the live events space. Mm -hmm. and, and I was having trouble figuring out what the hook was going to be for this speech. Because you always have to have the theme and the message mm -hmm. and the dream. Okay, this is what these guys' lives are like. Right. How can I relate to what it is that I'm doing? in my life that is relevant to what they're doing, what the they're chapters doing. that they face. And so this was a big media company that I was going to speak with. And so I was talking to my buddy, my buddy who's a high school, I mean, a college teammate of mine at UCLA, a very successful businessman. His basketball dreams did not come true, but he had lived in this big giant media world. And mm. so I was talking to him about what these guys' lives were like. And he, he was explaining to me that it's really kind of a miserable experience in existence in that right. pressure, stress, yeah. the constant necessity to just be out there and the incredible highs, the devastating lows, the endless cycle of it just coming at you. And that that's when he started to explain to me, Bill, this is what coach was talking about. When the he entire time. Yeah. The success is the peace of mind that comes with the self-satisfaction of knowing that you've done your best. Because mm -hmm. what happens when you get old and in the way like I am, and you can no longer play, and you're no longer in the game itself. Now, mm -hmm. I'm a tangential part 
of the whole thing now. I can be in the game, in the business game, in terms of the boardrooms, in terms of influencing decisions and things like that. But when it comes to executing the games, like blocking the shot, throwing it down, dropping the backdoor dime, grabbing the rebound, whatever, you're not doing that anymore. What you can do, what you can do is your best. And that's why I'm just so proud to be a part of the NBA today because the NBA, they are doing their best Mm. in incredibly tough times under supreme duress, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. What's the reward? What's the satisfaction? Are we making a positive difference? Mm. And that's why when I look at these programs, like what the NBA RPA is doing through its scholarship programs, through its empowerment of other next generations coming up through refurbishing the athletic facilities that we all grew up in. I always make that distinction, the distinction between, okay, yes, we can help, Mm. but are we sacrificing? Because those are two different things. Helping is when you, you put a hand out, lift somebody up, make it a little easier for them. Sacrificing is when giving what you have, giving up what you have so that other, somebody else can have what you already have. And sacrifice, sacrifice hurts, and it should hurt. That's why it's called sacrifice. But there is no team success. There is no group dynamic celebration without sacrifice, without discipline, and without honor. Because without that sense of honor, without that that ability to look into your teammates' eyes, to look into everybody who's part of the whole deal, and to be able to communicate that sense of hope that mm. we're all in this together, that it's never going to work. And that's why I applaud what our nation has just done with a remarkable standing of unity to move our country forward to a better place and not in the direction of fascism and racism. Mm. Very well said. And, uh, before we get you out of here, Bill, we, we thank you for the time you've given us. We're, we're putting together a playlist from all our legends. I I would guess I, I I think I know what band you're going to say, but give us one or two songs that I'll you're listening to right songs. now. So okay. I listen to music all the time. I mm. grew up in a classical music household. We did not have a television. We had a radio, and my parents had a record player that had their records. We, we didn't have any <laughs> You had no record. <laughs> right. We didn't have any record. We, we had the radio. And so, but uh, now everything is electronic music and, you know, th- through iTunes and through Pandora and through mm. all the different stuff. And so it's always on the shuffle. And so uh, I'm always looking for, you know, when I look at sports and when I look at music, it's really the same thing. It's that it's, it's the value and the power of these platforms to elevate our culture, to elevate the spirit of our own lives. Mm. Music is my medicine. I'm always sick. I'm always sick of something, somebody. Mm. And I know what my medicine is. Music participation in sports, whatever I can do, and then being with the guys, being mm. on the team, having the fun, the teasing, the joking, the laughing, the collective yeah. sense of effort and purpose. And so I'm looking for that hope. And so I'm going to give you three songs right now. Okay. Put on the playlist. And, okay. And give me three. Jerry Garcia sings them all. Okay. The first one is the bright side of the road. Okay. From the dark end of the street to the bright side of the road. The second song by Jerry, Mm. See What Love Can Do. And the third song is Waiting for a Miracle. 
and all those things that you put them all together you just keep playing them all the time and it was incredible because i just got off this remarkable high from doing the camping world maui invitational in Asheville for espn and you know it was all virtual it's a whole new world out there things are changing constantly and all kinds of different pressures and you got Six games in three days with teams yeah. guys you've never seen play basketball before. And you got to call the game and tell all the stories. And we're just <laughs> we're, we're out there on the edge, right? And it's just really t- uh, intense and fierce and tenacious. All the things that I love. And the the week started with this guy looked like you, you know, we, mm. because we do all the calls, all the research now on on Zoom. Everything is mm. virtual. And so the, the parade of coaches that keep coming through the Zoom calls, right? And so we get the coach, we get the call going with Chaka Smart down in, mm-hmm. in, in Austin, in Texas, Texas. For, mm-hmm. for UT. And this other dude who I have no idea shows up on the screen. How did you get here and who are you? <laughs> and it turned out his name was Matt Coleman. And I had no idea who he was or whatever. <laughs> And then it turned out to me that he was a player for the team. And then, so he, I thought he had just crashed the Zoom call. Yeah, he thought he was just there. I thought he was just there. I was looking for Shaka. And I didn't even recognize Shaka because he grew his hair out during the Oh, yeah. And then the tournament goes on, and Texas is the best team. And they're playing against North Carolina in North Carolina, and everything's going against Texas in the championship game. And then with one second to go – this guy who crashed the Zoom call, he makes the game-winning shot to win the championship. Wow. And it was he knew just, all along. It was, it was, and he acted like he that was supposed to happen. It was the coolest thing ever. And then the show is over, the game is over. I turn up, the, I reach over because I always have the music right there on my right hand side. And I turn mm-hmm. them, I turn over, and I hit the play button. And the first song that came up was bright side of the road and it, it, the shuffle knows that's they, what it I does. Love about our lives and that's what i love about being with a legend like you tyler and that's why i'm proud to be here and honored to be a member of a team something that's bigger and more important than me in my own life and that's the nbrpa wow i'm the luckiest guy in the world i'm alive Bill, that I, I can't uh, say it any better myself. We will close it out with that. Thank you so much for, for giving us some time and joining us today, Bill. I need a miracle. <laughs> I'm waiting for that miracle. See what love can do, and I'll see you on the bright side of the road. Thank you, Tyler, for your kindness, for your patience, for your generosity. Thank you, NBRPA, for everything. We didn't even talk about the health insurance. We didn't. <laughs> we did. We did talk about the. Uh, we did talk about the the refurbishing of Rocky's courts. So thank you for my life. Here we go. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. And that'll do it for this week's Legends Live. We've got new episodes live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern on the NBA Alumni Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter page. I'd like to remind viewers you can watch replays of any episode at legendsofbasketball.com slash legendslive. You can catch the audio replay to our conversations on Apple Podcasts or Spotify by searching for Legend Studio. I'd like to give a thank you to Bill Walton for joining us today. Thank you for Bridget for working behind the scenes. And we will see you all next Thursday.